Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. Amos chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, saith thus, Wailing shall be in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, and they shall call the husbandmen to mourning, and such as are skillful of lamentation to wailing. And in all vineyards shall be wailing, for I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark, and no brightness in it. We learned last week a difficult topic, at least for some it's difficult, because most people would say they're introverted, and some people would admit, and I actually had a man admit this to me of late, that he's a compromiser. I was shocked that he admitted it to me. It's one thing to be one. It's one thing to be a coward. But it's another thing to admit it publicly and, and another thing to admit it to a man unless you're looking for help. But nevertheless, we are called to be engaged in public discourse, not just to have Bible studies here within our four walls, not just to learn within these walls, and not just to have a bunch of fellowships and a bunch of activities and a bunch of this and a bunch of that and a bunch of this and a bunch of that. That, that isn't really what we're called for. We're called to engage in public discourse. And we learned last week here in a couple of verses in verse 15 that we should, it says, rebuke in the gate. That we are to establish judgment in the gate. And the Bible tells us to rebuke, reprove, with all long suffering, when correction in righteousness. So we are to be the salt of the earth in the public sphere. Now, of course, we know what happens if we were to do that. Because verse 10 says, They hate him that rebuketh in the gate. They're not going to like it. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be contention. There, it isn't going to be received well. And we know that they murdered our Savior for that very reason. 
Nevertheless, we are to do this. It says to establish judgment in the gate, more so, I would say, as we see the day approaching. And it tells us why. It may be that the Lord, God of hosts, will be gracious unto the remnant that are left. So there's an obvious benefit to that. It's, it's doing combat, but it's still required of us. As we move forward in the teaching of this book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the next few verses are almost a parenthetical within this. Verses 16 through 20, there is a, a side note, and I, and I believe how it comes is because there is a contemporary prophet that is preaching by the name of Joel right around the same time that this herdsman from Tekoa is teaching and preaching as well. And I believe that they got wind of one another. And so he, he adopts this phrase that Joel brings out frequently. And it's a phrase that is taught throughout all of Scripture. A phrase that isn't taught very much, though, according to the church. And it is called, that is, the day of the Lord. So what I'd like to do is as I would like to go through some of this because this little parenthetical is important. And so I would like to set it up so that we understand what the day of the Lord is, at least somewhat. As for some of you, this will be introductory material. Some of this will be review. But if you go back to Joel chapter 2, that I believe that Amos is referring to, we will catch a, at least a glimpse of what's happening here in Joel 2. Now remember that both of these prophets are preaching at the same time, so the messages need to be somewhat parallel, uh, like the Bible says. That's why the Apostle Paul said that he, he taught the whole counsel of God. You, you can't just stay in the Gospels. Some people are so naive and so immature in their faith that they actually only read the words that are in red. All the words are red. They should all be read because they are all actually read. They are all God's word, but they don't know that. So we preach the whole counsel of God so that we have the underpinnings of our faith and we live it out. Here in Joel 2, he starts out with a war cry. He says, blow ye the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord cometh. For it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness, of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Now he's referring to, as a typical in prophecy, there's a near and a far. Near and far, always with prophecy. In fact, there could be a near, there could be a little far, there can be a little further and a little further, and the, the prophecy will repeat itself as history goes on, and you will see a slight fulfillment. So the nearest that he's talking about here is the Assyrians are coming, and they are coming in a swarm. He says that it's a day of darkness, and there won't be anything like it, even to years of many generations, but eventually it will actually duplicate itself after that many years and that many generations. And in verse 3 says, A fire, a fire devoureth before them. And immediately you take one prophet, you lay the Bible open, and you take this other prophet and you lay that one open, and Joel is saying, a fire devoureth. Amos says, for three transgressions and for four, a fire. We begin to see the knitting together of all of the counsel of God. A fire devoureth before them, 
and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. Now, what he does is he begins to describe what he sees. The, the prophet, he doesn't understand all things, but he's writing as the Spirit moves him, and, and he's writing it down as he's supposed to. But look, he says the appearance, verse 4, the appearance of them is as the appearance of horses. So he's not necessarily saying they're horses, but it's a little foggy. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. And notice he says the word like. He's trying to describe something as best he can, but it's a little cloudy. Like the noise of chariots. On the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, the noise of fire of a, of a forest fire, the, the roar of it, the, the crackling of all of this. He's trying to describe, it's like chariots and all that noise, as a strong people set in battle array. Verse 6, before their face the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. I don't know when he says that if it's just dirt or soot from the smoke or if it's actually pestilence setting into their body and their faces are beginning to discolor. I'm not, I'm not sure on that. I guess I would lean towards it's, it's probably disease setting in by now. Dead bodies rotting in the street have a tendency to do that. He further describes them. He says, they shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. And they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another, they shall walk every one in his path, and when they shall fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. He, he's seeing this, and it's like a, a swarm. And of course we know that he's referring to the earlier swarm that is coming of insects and bugs and locusts. When you see a herd or a swarm of locusts, they're so close together, they, they go in ranks and march in numbers. And they don't move. It seems like they have this sense of they're exactly to be this far apart and they're this far behind them. It's, it's a swarm. Verse 10, the earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble. And then notice that the deep space, outer space is affected. Constellations are disrupted. At the day of the Lord. So the earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. That isn't an average thing. That, that is letting us know this is spiritual warfare. There's something spiritual going on here. Even the heavens are disrupted at what is taking place. And if you were just to back up a little bit more for his description of this, if you look in chapter 1, verse 6, he explains them as a nation. The Assyrians is the near fulfillment of what he is seeing, although he doesn't know this all the way. For a nation has come up against my land. Now look how he describes it. Strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion. And he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. So what he is saying is, is the locusts, these insects, 
They they kind of look like horses, but they have these teeth that are just sharp and fearsome, and they have cheek teeth, fangs that are similar to that of a lion. Now, immediately what we do is we're sitting here sipping our coffee and thinking, I've seen this before. Because John the Beloved has also seen something very similar to this. So let's go see how John in the book of Revelation describes it. Because remember that what Joel is referring to, what Amos was referring to, is known of as the day of the Lord. So when we come to Revelation chapter 8, we know that John the Beloved is referring to the day of the Lord. He's referring to how Jesus is coming in power and glory and he's going to put down the usurpers that are upon our planet right now. And it isn't going to be pretty. If you were to jump in, we have what is called the trumpets, which is the war trumpet or the warning of a trumpet. In Revelation 8, 7, it says, The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the grass was burnt up. I was having conversation with a church visitor here a few months back, and it was her first time here, and, and I think she had kind of an agenda that she wanted to push, and so we were having conversation in the front room, and she said something about recycling. How does our church have a recycling program? <laughs> and I said, no. She says, you don't? And I said, no. <laughs> well, don't you want a recycling program? And I said, no. <laughs> These things are all going to burn. It's right here in Revelations chapter 8. They're all going to burn. Climate change. It's all going to burn. Because Jesus said it will burn. And he will send angels down with war trumpets to set it all on fire. If only they would read their Bible a little bit, they would find out the nonsense that they entail themselves with. And again, if we can go through a few, the verse 8, the second angel sounded, and it were a great mountain burning with fire and cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. Which is interesting that John just throws that in there because this is, this is a catastrophe of, of such magnitude that is going on. We're talking of the ecosystem is totally disrupted when all these people die. And we know the ecosystem really is a very delicate system. But when God is stepping up to the plate, He is absolutely destroying that which He created because the devil has usurped it from Him. And they won't go quietly. This is the only way. The interesting part is as John is describing the horror that is taking place where a third part of the creatures of the sea die, men are still doing commerce. Men are still chasing money. There's warships out there. The industrial complex is still buying and selling and building warships to make money. They are still doing commerce. The ocean is still fighting. The people who are in power for money are still fighting. And a third of those ships sink. 
You know, we can go down a little further. Verse 10, it says, And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were. Now remember, John, like the other prophets, are trying to describe what they see. Now, they haven't seen a few things because we are obviously thousands of years later heading towards this fulfillment. And so John, I mean, I don't just think, I mean, at that time there was no car. There, there, there was no, nothing flew. So sometimes when John sees future events, it, it could be a plane. And he has, what, he has no idea what a plane is. Never heard of a plane. Never heard of a man in flight. So they describe the best that they can of future events by what he saw. And he says, well, the third angel sounded and there fell this great star from heaven burning as it were like a, a lamp. In other words, he, he doesn't really know what it is. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. This big star fell from the sky. Now, I don't know if it's a meteorite or if it literally is a piece of a star or if it's a missile. I don't know. He doesn't know. But look what happens when this hits. Verse 11, in the name of the star... Is called wormwood. Didn't didn't we just talk about wormwood a couple of days ago? And wormwood in the Ukrainian translation is Chernobyl. So something that looks like it's on fire falls from the sky. It destroys rivers and waters and fountains. It's called wormwood. And the third part of the waters become wormwood. In other words, they, they become contaminated and they become what I believe, whether you believe it's a star or something, a meteorite or a nuclear warhead, it doesn't matter because it's the same effect. The water becomes radiant. The water is filled with radiation. Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. They were made radioactive. Now, could you imagine the catastrophe of that? Look what happened at a little virus that went around. What are you going to do when the waters become contaminated and kill a third of the earth? It's utter disaster. Do you believe the Bible is true? Verse 13, And I behold and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw the star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to, of the bottomless pit. So now this star is not that. It's, it's, it's an heavenly being. It's, it's a creature of some sort. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. We're well aware of what the bottomless pit is. It's the abyss. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. 
we're all the way back in Joel, we're all the way back in Amos, and we're following the thread all the way through 2000 to 20, 2000, however, all the way through to the future of the book of Revelations. Near and far. There came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And you can hear Paul, can't you? Ephesians chapter 4. We are sealed unto the day of redemption. The royal seal that is given to us as believers is being referred to here at that time. There are men that are sealed unto the day of redemption. You can't lose your salvation, my friend. You are sealed unto the day. And even when all hell breaks loose upon the earth, don't hurt them. Those are mine. They have the seal of God in their foreheads. Verse 5, And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. In those days shall men look at this. They shall seek death and shall not find it. They shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. The incredible amount of suffering that will take place. These men are going to be suffering so badly via the poison, they will desire to die, and God won't allow it. They will suffer further and further and further in their pain because they have revolted against heaven's darling. Jesus Christ, heaven's darling, died a brutal death for them, and they have chosen to reject it. Therefore, their damnation is just. They deserve it. I think in the hymn book of the song, Jesus Loves Me, that stanza was left out. They can't die. And look in verse 7, and the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses. Again, it's like the, the prophets were all written by the same author. The shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. The cheek teeth were like that of lions, and they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots and of many horses running to battle. It's as if John the Beloved is reading the prophet of Joel and Amos. They had tails like unto scorpions, their stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. Remember we're John is dealing with that in the trib, so the time, the calendar is very precise. And then look at 11. They had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue, in case we don't know who that angel is, who that king of the bottomless pit is, he gives the name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. He's the destroyer. He's the devil. At this time, the mass graves will be all over the place. There will be corpses laying in the street. There will be all this chaos. It will be death and carnage. All this satanic activity is off the chart. 
A couple of days ago, I drove to New York to meet a gentleman that I've been following. I've been watching him from a distance. I've been waiting for him to come closer to our Carvart of the country so that I can go tell him a few things. Because he's walking where angels fear to trod. He's taking on the beast. He's doing what he can. Because the government has already fired him from his job because he stood up for liberty. So they fired him. He has been doxxed, so he cannot get another job. And so what this gentleman has been doing for the past year has been unemployed, fighting state to state to state to state to fight for liberty. And I see him and I watch him from a distance and I, and I read his works and I think to myself, I, I, he's a believer and he knows that something is happening and he knows that he's warring against darkness. So we sat down together and we talked a little. He is, he is doing spiritual combat, absolute spiritual combat. One of the planes that they were supposed to do, a private jet, was messed with so that it would fall out of the sky. He's a lawyer. A good one, I think. But he is doing combat in places that he doesn't even know. He doesn't know some of this stuff. He's fighting with one hand tied behind his back because really the spiritual warfare is so dark. Shouldn't an ordained minister be doing this work? For we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. But I'm thankful that he's doing it. So we drive to New York to encourage him. Carry on, sir. This has a king over the bottomless pit. And just in case the people don't know who this is that you're warring against, that is Apollyon. That is the day of battle. That is the day of the Lord. The war. Good versus evil. Now I believe we're ready for the parenthetical in Amos. So let's go back there and find out what's, what's happening in the current day in 800 B.C. in, in Amos chapter 5. Amos 5, 16, we're just recently told in the previous verses, you've got to establish judgment in the gate. It must be public discourse. Brothers, I love Bible study, and, and, I, and I really truly do. I am a student of the Word like you. But it does no good to sit and feed and get fat and go nowhere with it. It says, establish judgment in the gate. That is not an option. Because if we do that, He might be gracious unto us, the remnant. So verse 16 then, Amos is directed by the hand of God to give a parenthetical of what's kind of going on here, a fly on the wall. Therefore, now look what he says. And the way that this is said is important because he begins this parenthetical, I believe, with a very deep sigh. Look how it's written. Therefore, the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord saith thus. He's bringing emphasis to it. He's stirred in the spirit as Paul on Mars Hill. This is what the Lord is saying. 
Wailing shall be in all streets. They shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas! They shall call the husbandmen to mourning and such as are skillful of lamentation to wailing. It's horrible. There's no flattening the curve. I mean, this is massive. All the vineyards shall be wailing. And why? Because God says, I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. There's nowhere to hide when God comes on the rampage. Now look what he says here. Verse 18, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? And you know what that is? That's bad teaching. That's exactly what that is. That is bad teaching. Because, remember when Jesus came, At first, they liked him because they knew some bad teachings. They knew a deliverer was coming and this deliverer was going to conquer and save us and this deliverer was going to be our captain and our champion, which is all true. But you can't pick and choose what the Bible says. We cannot allow the church to only know the hymn of Jesus loves me. We can't. You can't only give the good news when they don't know the bad news. You can't bring people to Christ until they know that they are a sinner. That's why Paul says, I preach the whole counsel of God, which means the whole Old Testament. We've been in Amos for how long? It's not good looking, but it's true. But see, the end of Joel talks about the millennium. The golden age when the conqueror will come and set up the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that little bit of good news was taught and taught and taught and taught and was published throughout. That's this big out of the book of Joel. Because the whole rest of the chapters are, man, locusts are coming. It's bad teaching. It's off kilter. Why? Because it doesn't build big churches. I know other than maybe the devil is deluding it, and you know what else is there? Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. Why would you desire the day of the Lord? Do you not know? Well, no, they don't know because they're not taught. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they know? Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness, not light. And you think you're going to escape? Well, there are a few, but look how the illustration that Amos gives. It's like, you know, that story where you tell somebody about, well, the guy went to war and he, and he fought in five tours in Nam and, and then and, and this happened and this happened and then he got back and, all, and then he walks across the street in Cleveland and gets hit by a bus. That's what Amos is saying in his vernacular here. He goes, look, you think you're going to get away with it? As if a man did flee from a lion? Like you you ran into a lion and you're running for your life and you get by by the skin of your teeth. And as you're running away from that lion, a bear meets him and swallows him. Or if you run away from a lion and you just basically get out of there with your life or went into the house after he's huffing and puffing and breathing from running, thinking, I made it, I made it, I escaped the lion. He leans his hand on the wall and gets bit by a serpent. In other words, you're not going to get away. 
somehow, some way, hell or high water, you're going down. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it? This goes back to the window of opportunity. By now, verse 13, the prudent shall keep silence in that time because it's an evil time. But as dark as it is, let's go back one more page just to to Joel. Let's go to Joel 3 this time. Joel 3, verse 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all you heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. There's a war, and it's spiritual. Bring the mighty ones down against everyone who's going to do this, the heathen. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, to Armageddon. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. And then look at the bloodshed. Look how it's described there. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow. We know what that looks like in in the farming market. You have grape juice, the purple, crimson flow. The vats are full of the juice. But brothers, this is not grape juice. It is the crimson blood of men pouring out. As bad as it is, and as bad as it can be, with all the carnage, even despite that, look what he says. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. As bad as it can get. He is still allowing multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Choose wisely. It's a decision. Christ or not. There is no other. Only God can save you from God. You do realize that's what being saved means? I got saved. What does saved mean? Saved from what? Brothers, when you get saved, we are saved from God. Because the wrath of God is poured out. And God, Christ Jesus on the cross, took the wrath and saved us from God's wrath. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Only God can save us from God. And he became a man to do it. How can you not believe? How can you put it off any longer? For today is the day. Now is the time.
You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.